0: Wow, well, Church, great to see you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online this morning via our live stream. Great to have you as part of this morning's service. We are really, really blessed today because we have some good friends with us, Mike and Jackie Wilson from Engage Church in Napier. Uh, the, this is a great couple. Now, today I'm, gonna, I'm wearing a shirt because Mike was told by his wife, this is what he said by Jackie, that he had to wear a shirt. So I wore a shirt, Mike, just for you because I didn't want to get in trouble with Jackie either, but I've got a T-shirt underneath so I could get rid of it. Once I'm finished up the front. But we're so blessed to have the Mike and Jackie served with YFC, Youth for Christ, for 20 years, and they were the senior leaders of Engaged Church for, I believe, 26 years, and uh, you have led a thriving, incredible church in Napier, which you've just handed over to the next generation. What an incredible couple. It's not heard of a lot, but a successful, another greatly successful transition, where they're now championing the next generation, including Ange and I, which is which is pretty exciting. And we're so blessed to have you guys with us. The way I would describe you is two of the kindest people that I've ever met. And that represents Jesus. So you want to be around some kind people, be around these guys. Uh, they're absolutely awesome. And we're, we're just blessed to have Mike come and share the word with us this morning. So can we put our hands together and welcome Mike as he comes?
1: That'd be great. Good, bro. <laughs> Uh, Privilege to be here, guys. Um, I was born and bred in Southland, so a bit of that accent's going to come out, I'm afraid, at different points. I'm a South Islander. Um, I I, I mean this real real seriously. It's just a privilege to be in this place this morning, uh, to be in this place of worship, to be in a place that's. um, I just think you build on a good foundation, not only in Jesus, but you've, you've had leaders that have, that have sown well and led well, and yeah. um, I understand mum Jill's preaching at a church, dad and mum are at church, uh, Tim this morning at, at your other campus preaching, and uh, you've got fabulous young leaders leading this church, and amazing generations of, of investment in this place, and I don't just say this this morning, but I actually said to um, Carl and Ange last night, you are the kind of leaders that this country desperately needs that lead with encouragement and empowerment and raise up another generation around them to lead powerfully into the destiny that God has for His church. The church has been through a rough time in the last few years, it's had some knocks. But one of the things I feel strongly is that the style of leadership that you guys are modeling in this church and the generations that you have around you is the style of church that will make a difference in this nation. Because you're gonna hear from my message in a moment that that we have a purpose in this world. God intends for us to do something significant with our life, and we need to be in a community of faith that is fostered and people are encouraged, that's not a control structure, that it's an empowering, leading, lifting up structure that builds people up and releases them to their passion and to the call that God puts them in in their life. And Carl and Ange, you guys need to know in Christchurch your church has been such an encouragement to us in our journey we We spent some time i i, I won 't spend time in this because I need to get into the word right but we spent time navigating out of a movement and standing and sitting in a place where we didn 't want to be on our own and and we it, it just didn't sit, sit naturally. And then we bumped into these guys. They came and spoke at our church. Ellen Marshall, that's co pastored with me, is good friends. And you guys came up. And look, the first Sunday they were there, we knew this was our family. We knew this was our connection. And we are so blessed. I could spend my whole message on it. We are so blessed to be part of your family, part of your larger family. And it's just so encouraging. Anyway, come on, let's get into the Word. You're going to get a new message to me this morning. It's, it, it's nothing new in the sense that it's not in my heart. It's not something I passionately believe, and it's not something I, I kind of teach on in different ways, but I've never spoken this message. And at one point, I probably need to give thanks to my son, because if he doesn't, he will tell me off. Uh, he's kind of like in Tim's role in our church. And... Uh, you know, we were sitting talking a few days ago. I said, Dad, I want you to watch this YouTube clip. I, I, I'm, I'm preaching in a few weeks, and I, you know, I, I want to develop a message around this. And I want your thoughts to, you know, tell me, is it online? And it's, it's a nature YouTube clip that you're going to see. And I watched it, and I said, that's exactly what I want to talk about in Christchurch. So, so I've nicked it off him. <laughs> so, so... Uh, We haven't compared notes, all right? So I've developed it differently and I don't know what he's gonna do, but here goes. So here's what I wanna talk to you about this morning in the time that I've got. When we step out of a role, out of the role that we were created to fulfill by God, it creates a vacuum in His created order that ends up getting filled by lesser and often destructive forces because nature abhors a vacuum. Let me give you an example from the scriptures of how lesser things will fill a vacuum that you were intended to fulfill. It's in Luke 19 and it's a story that records Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem just days before his crucifixion where his followers lined the streets and Luke records that they rejoiced and worshiped and praised God uh, for Jesus as he entered the streets. And we pick it up in Luke 19 and verse 39 and it says this, some of the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples, rebuke them for being rejoiceful, for being full of joy and praising and worshiping. God rebuked them. And Jesus answered them and he says, I tell you this, if they were silent, yeah. the very stones will cry out. Yeah. We are created by God to worship. Yeah. It's, it's in our DNA. It, it's our calling. It's our passion. And if we don't, then nature will And we will end up worshiping something inferior, something created. And you look around the world now, people you know who are all worshiping something created. They're creative in how they're worshiping something created, but that's what they're doing. And we open a door when we stop worshiping God. We open a door in our life that the enemy will fill because nature abhors a vacuum. As I've said, I wanna show you this video that highlights this point in nature. In the 1920s, wolves had been completely exterminated in the Yellowstone Park in America because of the destruction they were seemingly doing to, to ra- ranches and the cattle and the sheep and the thing. Watch it, I hope you enjoy it.
2: One of the most exciting scientific findings of the past half century has been the discovery of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years, that the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park. And despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behaviour of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds, and migratory birds, started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers um, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes, here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behaviour of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion, the channels narrowed, more pools formed, more riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilised the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilised that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography.
1: my, (laughs) My my point this morning is that we are designed by God to have a remarkable effect in our world. We are designed by God to make a difference in our world. And when we step out of our created order that we were called to fulfill, it creates a vacuum. It gets filled by lesser and often destructive things. And when we do that, here's what I want to tell you. We cannot then say, "Why is the world in a mess?" and complain about the state of it, right, right. Because we have stepped out of a role that God has given us to do. At creation, God put us in charge of the earth, if you know the story. And he delegated authority to us to govern earth in a way that reflects his kingdom and his world. Part of Adam's role was to actually guard the garden. But he dropped his guard by allowing Satan to slither in like a snake. And then he listened to him and then he acted on his suggestions. They rebelled against God is what they did. They stepped out of their role and consequently, as they stepped out of their God-given role, Satan stepped into the vacuum and took over authority to govern and rule the world, if you understand the biblical story. This vacuum was filled, in this case, by a more destructive force. We were created by God in His image and his likeness to reflect his kingdom on earth. We had a vital role to play, each one of us, in the future well-being of this earth. The end goal, if you understand Genesis, is that the presence and the culture of heaven would fill the whole earth as it's going to in the end. We would use our creative talents and abilities to create a better world that reflected God's world, God's character, God's culture. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, it says this, God blessed them. He blessed Adam and Eve. Adam meaning mankind, Eve meaning life giver. He blessed mankind and life giver. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. I love the meaning of words. The word multiply in in that verse here means like what you think it means. It means to have children that have children, then go on and have children and fill the earth. But the word fruitful, the word fruitful has nothing to do with having children. Did you know that? It has to do with our contribution to making the world a better place. It, it's, it's, it's to do with productivity. It actually refers to strengths and capacity and ability. You see, you were designed. I was designed by God, in his image and likeness to make a difference in, in this world. But as I observe life over the last 150 years or so, Christians have spent most of their energy and most of their focus on trying to escape this world and go to some place up there, up there somewhere, and have forgotten about the world. This is largely because what we have come to believe about the world, and I want to cause you to rethink about that this morning, hasn't been helped by... Books in the 1970s, Hell, Lindsay's, late great planet Earth, where the planet's gonna be completely destroyed and we're all going off somewhere, more fictional than biblical. You see, the Bible uses the term the world in three different ways. And only one of them is actually our enemy. And it's crucial that you understand which one it is. So we're gonna look at that just quickly. The first way the Bible uses the term the world it's talking about the people in the world. Verse you know well, John 3 and verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The use of the word world here is in this context. It's talking about the world and the people in it. It's, it's the world that God loves and the people in it, and so should we. Here's what I find, that, that if, if, if we don't understand who our enemy is, we end up fighting people. That's what we do. The second way the Bible refers to the world is this, the earth, the cosmos. Acts 17 and verse 24, it says this, He is, he is God who made the world and everything in it referring to the created world. You see, when God created the world, you know this. He said it is good. When He created humankind, He said it is very good. So God's stamp of approval was over the world. His stamp of approval is over you. It's created by God. He created us to enjoy this world. It's here for our benefit. He created us to manage it and look after it and extend His purposes over every part of it. It's not our enemy, people. And In fact, Judaism and Christianity are the only two major religions, if you understand the scripture, that have a positive high view of the earth and a future hope for the world. Here's the third way that the Bible describes the world. It describes it as the power behind it. So when it talks about the world in this context, it's talking not about the people or the cosmos, the earth, it's talking about the power that is behind it. In this case, the principalities and the powers, the Bible calls them, the structures that govern in this present age. It's the corrupt value system that's behind the scenes that controls and influences the world affairs. That's our enemy, people. We see it right at the moment in the Russia Ukraine thing, and the way that Russia is using its forces, it did in Syria. It's a power behind it, a religious and political power. Even though they'd say the communists, it's a religious power. It's a religious and a political power behind the spirit, and this is our enemy, not the people. First John five and nineteen says the world around us is what? It's under the control of the evil one. First John 2 and 15 says this, do not love the world. This is where we get the verse often of where it escaped the world. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You see, John here is not talking about the created world. He's not talking about the people in the world. He's talking about the systems behind the world that are influenced and controlled by Satan. Don't fall in love with them. Don't get sucked into their system. Don't get caught up and bought into their way of thinking. Think differently. Think kingdom of God differently. This world, John tells us, runs on the basis of selfishness and greed and power and control. Interestingly, the same John that just wrote those verses in Revelation refers to these pairs as beasts. Beasts, two beasts, he calls them the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. The empires, religious and political empires of the world. The beasts are a good term for what they are. And and what John is saying, don't get sucked into them. He was particularly focused on the Roman Empire of the day, but it's every empire because when it neglects God, it becomes a beast. Don't let the beast suck you in. So here, as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to live in the world, but not be of the world. So these are the powerful forces. Just to pick it up a bit more, Paul refers to them in Ephesians 6, in these powerful words, he says, for our struggle. For our struggle, people. Look at this, It's, it's, it's not against flesh and blood, it's not against people. No matter what nationality they are, it's not against that. Our struggle is against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As I've said, it's the political powers, it's the religious powers that operate behind the scenes. It's the world system that God calls us to resist and more than resist, to fight against, to stand up against, to speak out against. We're to be actively involved in this world, but not influenced by the culture of the system in the world. As I've said, sadly, most Christians I find have confused their role in the world and have walked away from the God-given role to protect and to govern it, believing that they would kind of be rescued from it in some way rather than steward it and look after it. The scriptures are very clear that our world will not be completely destroyed. It will be renewed. It will be redeemed. And the vision Isaiah had, he wrote this from God. He said, Isaiah 65 and verse 17, look, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth, and no one will think about the old ones anymore. Peter picks up this theme in 2 Peter 3 and he says this, but we are looking forward. Wouldn't it be great if we could yell out that sometimes? But we are looking forward to a new heaven and look, a new earth that he has promised, a world filled with his righteousness. The word term here is not kind of some moral righteousness. It's right living, living rightly. And John picks up this vision in Revelation when he wrote in Revelation 21, he said this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Well, I'm gonna call the band up and then have a go at trying to land this. Are you, are you with me still? Yeah. The, the Bible, if you understand it, is a story of how God is and will set the world it has gone wrong right. That's the story. You want it in simplicity? It's a story of how God is and will eventually, completely correct a world that has gone wrong to becoming right in his kingdom. He does this through the shed blood of his son Jesus, the hero of the story of the scriptures, the slain lamb of God. It, it's a story that starts at creation in Genesis and, and weaves its way through to a new creation in revelation. It's the ending of one age, the age that you and I live. We live in what I call an in-between age In between creation and a new creation. We're called to live as kingdom citizens in this age and represent the king of our kingdom really well. And always, in all aspects, we live in between the two points. It's the ending of one age, and when Christ comes back, it's the beginning of a new age. Here's what I want to get across this morning. When we Understand that the earth was made by God and declared to be good and that it will be renewed and that many of our current achievements will be purged and refined and redeemed and they will have eternal significance. The merit of our activities, what we do now in the Every day, ordinary moments of every day will be changed because we have a bigger perspective. It's measured in a different way. The end is important because it determines how we should live and act now as we look forward to the future that God is bringing. Do you know one of my favorite verses I want to finish with in the scriptures is this. It's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. It says this, So, dear brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord for that you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Another version says wasted. Another version says in vain. Nothing that you do, that you do for Jesus and in His name. Let me just spend a second. It's it's not, you know, you do a good work in your community and say, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. It's when you carry the culture of the kingdom and you walk into a situation and you bring healing or hope or restoration to a community that you guys are doing so well. Well, you work hard in the ecology of our earth to protect it. We've created a vacuum in there, and then we moan about how the green people do it. They're doing a better job because we stepped out of the vacuum and created a vacuum. And when I work like that, when everything I do has the culture of heaven, it's in His name, then it has eternal significance. It's the saddest thing we can do is just give up on it and create a vacuum. I want to challenge you this morning, do not waste your life. Do not live a life in vain of what God has called you to do. Be active in His name. We are to be a preview, like a movie preview of a coming kingdom. We are to give people a glimpse by how we live and how we act and what we do and what we say of what the coming kingdom will be like. The the task of a church, this church, that I just love how you guys pick up is that your call is to both declare the reality of Christ the risen King and reflect His culture. Right here, right now, fully, even though it's coming in its fullness. And if you don't step into that role, something else will. Maybe inferior, maybe destructive, and then you have no right to yell and scream about the way the world is and how bad it's getting, because we stepped out. I'm not saying we shouldn't march. Not even saying we shouldn't be in political parties. Just don't create a Christian one, please. I shouldn't have said that. Join one other one and make a difference with your life. Because here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus said, everyone of us will give an account of our life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I won't read it, but... He writes this, that every life will give an account of how you've lived before Him. And then He uses this unusual term, whether you have gold or silver or precious stones or whether you have hay or wood or stubble or straw or whatever you want. The wood and the hay and the stubble are stuff that just gets burnt up. But here's the point. You and I can do stuff that's gold, that's silver, that's precious stones, And I believe what we do like that will last for all eternity. It will be in the kingdom to come. So that's my challenge to you this morning. I know you're doing a good job, but lift your eyes higher to what God's calling you to do. Amen. Amen.